You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark Podcast. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for SpyFi After Dark Podcast, making waves on my friends list. <laughs> Keep listening to us, we're all going to improve. Uh, so, since we don't have intro clips anymore... Just real quick, I'm going to be annoying for a quick second. So you should go ahead and hit that subscribe button real quick for me. I know, like, I know it's a lot to ask, you know, <laughs> but like, just, you we'll, know, we'll feel special. Just hit it, just hit it real quick. I'll remind you later. So <laughs> don't worry about that. Um, this is a good break from that hiatus that we had. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that like we're more consistent again. It yeah. feels good. Yeah. Well, it helps that we can record two episodes at once, oh, right? Oh, 100%. Um, otherwise, you know, you can find me on Twitter, Millen Tweets, and Instagram at Millengrams. Alex doesn't like to publicize his social media. Not too much. So he'll remain hidden so, like a secret agent. Yeah. Route it all through Millen. So keep supporting us. We really appreciate it. Uh, anyways, for today, we figured we'd talk a little bit about a project I've been working on called the Iowa Moccas and transition that into some broader political discussion. Um, I suppose I'll just start with a quick intro on what the Moccas sure. is. The Moccas is a democracy technology project. It's basically an activism project where we are building uh, caucus software, which you'd use in like the Iowa caucuses, which famously failed this year because they hired a brand new vendor to build software to run it and make it smoother. And the software did not perform well. What was the name of the uh, software slash vendor again? (laughs) It's like the most uh, like conspiracy name ever. Yeah. It's as like ominous as it gets. Shadow (laughs) Inc. most ridiculous name for a for a political technology consultancy company (laughs) like it doesn't even make sense aside from the fact that it sounds like a conspiracy right um but anyways we just uh you know i think shortly after it happened i was like a few days later i was like hold on a second it's not like the software you would need for this particular application would be terribly complicated because it shouldn't be. It's not a difficult... Uh, like conceptually... Yeah, conceptually, yeah. it's not a difficult application. Right. So there's really like no reason it was messed up. Like no legitimate reason, aside from just incompetence. So then I kind of figured, wait a minute. I think I could just build this. Like it's that simple. I'm pretty sure I could just build it. And so that's what we're doing. I'm doing that with my friend, Brandon fellow software engineer, one of my coworkers. Um, we're working on the app and we're also looking for a couple people to fill some tangential spots, help us with media and, uh, video editing and live stream production, stuff like that. And be oh. guests on the official mock slide. Oh, that's the other thing is there's a live stream to cap off the event. So we're making the software and then we're going to use it in a like hour, hour and a half sort of news broadcast, so to speak broadcast out of my studio <laughs> still professional room. yeah hence the name right Marcus yeah very professional 100% uh, so yeah we'll need a few people to show up on that too 
um, risk that uh, risk that Rona by coming to my house. Where can they find that website? Uh, it's iowamacus.com. That's like M-O-C-K-U-S. So. How long do you think it take you and your friend slash any additional software developers to develop like a a well lubricated app for something like this? So at, at the moment we're recording and we're recording on May 20th and this episode is not going to go up for a couple weeks. Um, we have the first few features on the front end implemented. Like it's starting to come together and there's some components there. Um, it's still pretty far and from a code perspective from like an alpha, mm-hmm. but pretty far in context to a relatively simple overall app. So it's not like that far in totality. Um, we don't have an exact date for when the live stream is going to happen. I was hoping for like late June, but I think realistically probably sometime in July, maybe even early August. That's still pretty soon. All things considered, I mean, we're basically, Brandon and I are working on it twice a week for a couple hours each time. So it's not like a ton of time. Yeah. I work on it a little bit more when I have some time, but I don't really often have that much time. Why do you think the, there was an issue with the Iowa caucus? Um, so we don't, we don't know exactly what went wrong because a lot of it was under NDA. There's been a couple screenshots that were released or leaked, not released, leaked. Um, and from what I've read, the main problems were that the app was poorly designed from mm-hmm. a user experience perspective and was hard to use, especially for older people, which a lot of the users were older people because they're the ones who ran the caucuses. Um, and to be clear, the app was not meant for voters. Like y- you as an individual voter don't use the app. You caucus like you've always caucused in the past. The organizers of the caucus use the app to tally the votes and send them to HQ. That that actually makes more sense as to trying to come up with a reason why there would be a failure. Exactly. There's not there's only there's only a few points of failure, right? Right. So it was poorly designed user interface and apparently there were a lot of glitches and it was hard for people to sign in, like they were getting errors. So our our system is gonna be we're gonna have people who are predetermined as part of the caucus the volunteers that sign up to be a part of it um which by the way if you go to iomacus.com you can sign up as a volunteer it's a really it's a really small time commitment it's like five to ten minutes of your day and i'll send you a text message to let you know when it's going down Um, but we will need a good number of people to run it Uh, even though we don't need individual voters we need the uh, moderators and precinct captains of a certain number of fake precincts. Ideally, the more the better. I'd hope I'm hoping for at least ten, which would be four. It's four people per precinct, so that would be forty people. But if we do more, that'd be great. But anyways, our our system is going to be built where your emails are in a database, and you just sign in with your email, so you don't have to create a password or go through any of that shenanigans. Um, so it's just going to be designed simpler primarily. Got it. Like I have a feeling that the app they used was overcomplicated. I was going to ask you if like, 
some of the overcomplications mainly were in the layers of like authentication because it's a political. It's possible. I know that they had like a some sort of two factor, two stage process to actually downloading it, which was confusing. Um, Cause it was just like a phone app that you have like on your iPhone. Mm. So it was distributed through the app store, but not directly or might not have even been the app store. There was, there was some like roundabout way of downloading it that took like two steps. Got it. It wasn't immediately obvious. Um, so that was inherently challenging. Our version is just a web version just exists on a website, which is how it should have been done in the first place. Um, and yeah, I think, I think mainly they just had a complicated user interface and it was probably over-engineered, which caused problems. And I would be willing to bet, I don't know everyone who worked at Shadow, but I know that the main people who ran it were political operatives, you know, like longtime consultants and stuff. I'd be willing to bet they just farmed out the development to some shop in like Turkey or something or Russia ironically that would be actually very funny but it's also a very real possibility there are a lot of good software engineers in russia um so i'd be willing to bet they just farmed out the whole thing and uh then delivered the product which you know probably not how you want to approach democracy software yeah yeah <laughs> Ideally. No, I, I i agree with you some things maybe shouldn't be outsourced yeah but that's crazy but the Marcus is not like um it's not like a business concept that's the other thing is like if you do go to the website and sign up to get updates or whatever like we're not going to spam you for donations or anything like that mm-hmm. there's no profit motive to yeah, the project yeah i'd imagine coming it's, from you it's purely an activist project mm-hmm. it's just a statement piece and there's a, there's a certain amount of like reputation building that goes with it like for me it's a something for my um my resume so to speak and i have other democracy technology type projects i want to work on in the future so i'm hoping i can build a little bit of audience from this project to get the mm-hmm. ball rolling on those things makes sense um i like what it stands for too essentially that there shouldn't be like user interface issues in 2020 yeah that's just, really what it comes down to. It's what it comes down to yeah. is the, it's not a complicated app and there's really just no justification for it being screwed up. And so it's holding, holding the powers that be accountable through simple technological activism. I can probably reach out and get volunteers as well. Good. So we'll need them. Yeah. 40 is actually not too many in 10, 10 minutes of time. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Would it all have to be executed on the same day? Yeah, it's in a yes. live stream. Right, right. Well, it's that's all right. within the right. same hour. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And the way it'll be built is there will I'll build a dashboard for the iowamacus.com, which pulls in information from the API. So the app will basically make certain data publicly accessible through an API, although I won't release the details of it publicly because I don't want it to get DDoSed. Um, but our website will then ping that. API and get the information. So you'll have like a live real-time updated dashboard on iowamacus.com while the thing is going on. So we'll have like literally a a news broadcast. It's like a small version of an election night broadcast. Basically, That's pretty cool. 
and uh, it's it's amazing that you can do this kind of thing these days with no budget. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll probably end up spending like a few hundred dollars. All things yeah, it's actually incredible. Said maybe a little bit more if I have to pay a couple of people to help me out here and there, but yeah, a small amount, all things considered. Definitely pretty cool, especially when you think those election night broadcasts on cable news they probably spend like you know a million dollars producing them oh yeah yeah so yeah i agree with you it's incredible what you can do like at home yeah yeah i mean i i think this this idea when this thing happened it was so it, it irked me in such like a fundamental way because I'm sitting here and I'm not a normal person because I'm a software engineer. And so a lot of people will just accept that software like fails sometimes or like isn't great necessarily mm-hmm. or like is inconsistent because it is a lot of times. But a lot of people don't realize how simple of an application this is. Like all things considered, there's only a few pieces of data to keep track of. You probably have a combination of like nuanced discernment and passion for this realm. And it's rare to have that combination maybe with a political app like this, meaning that like being a developer, you're going to scrutinize like what kind of functional problem is in front of you. Yeah. But then also because you're very politically involved and active. Yeah. This, this, this flagged your attention. So it's a combination of it's things. It's definitely a convenient intersection of, yeah. of interests. Yeah. And it's probably like not the most common. Yeah. Like, I would imagine yeah. it's not. Um, yeah. It was just, it just, it got me in the sense that I was like, it, it's particularly angering because I know that a lot of people won't understand how badly they're being swindled and they're not going to be told that because the same people run news media. They're not technologically savvy people. Mm-hmm. If you had someone on cable news who was a software engineer in a previous life, they would have said something, but you don't. So you also don't need to, you don't necessarily need to either. I'm saying it's not, it's not in it. In they're it. also not going to bring on one. That's what I'm that's that's what I was getting at. Yeah. That it's not maybe in their interest to publicly inform. It's kind of like, you know, even um just out, outside of this world, like if you work for a corporation and you're leading a project and you give whatever cadence of reports on the status of your project, you need to give enough for like general alignment, but you don't always want to get into like the technical weeds because you may raise like unprecedented questions that you have the, you have um, the accountability to answer and to respond to, but you don't necessarily always, and it's, it's just one of those balancing acts, but you don't always want to not stress, but like unintentionally, add factors to parties who may or may not be equipped to solve said factors like you. You know what I'm saying? That's fair. So I'm and I'm and that's like and that's in a situation where there is no like like negligence or swindling. Like you being an honest like technical 
contributor at yeah, work. That's a he, generous interpretation. That's a, exactly that's generous. Now, this is not even that. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I, I, think, I, underst- I understand where it's coming from, but I don't think they're. Yeah. I think in this case, it was a matter of they didn't even understand it was a problem. Oh, I don't think there was like a deliberate malfeasance. Um, although I could understand why people would think so. That's what I, that, I think. That's what I was thinking. Was. I think primarily it was just that they didn't even, they, I don't even think they realize it. Got it. And that's why they, they wouldn't even think to bring on a software engineer to talk about it because they wouldn't even think that it, it was that kind of problem. They would have thought it's just something that happens. Right. Like they'd just be very laissez faire about it. Yeah. And you know, it caused a huge delay in results. Like it didn't, it took like three or four days to get full results. And that's just even full paper elections are counted within 24 hours in third world countries. And like the UN gets up in arms when the election takes longer than 24 hours to count in a third world country, because it's oftentimes a sign of election fraud, you know, whether or not you make that argument here in this case, they were just congested. Because they had a they had a phone line as a backup option, but it became the primary option because the app failed. So they didn't have enough resources devoted to it, mm. so it just took a long time for them to get all the results phoned in and have them updated. And I think I remember, I think I remember on election night there were some discrepancies in vote totals too. Um, and honestly, we don't know how much of that happened. Like it's possible. That's the other thing is with a situation like this is it creates chaos where those kinds of things can just happen and no one will even notice because I do remember, um, cause what happens is all the campaigns in a caucus, they have a representative at all the caucuses. It's usually a volunteer. Occasionally it's a, a campaign staff member, but usually it's a volunteer and they're the precinct captain for the candidate. Um, and our app will have precinct captains. That's the other role. You have the moderators who run the precinct and the captains who participate in it. And the goal, the, the um, role of the captains in the software is to verify results. So the moderator puts in the results and the captains say yes or no. Um, I remember, I believe, I believe on the day of the real, the real caucus, there were precinct captains, um, particularly from Bernie's camp or Yang's camp, those people who indicated that they had different counts for their local caucus than the ones that were being shown in the official results. And I think some of them were ultimately updated, but again, we don't know how many of those things got through and either no one noticed or someone said something, but then no one did anything and no one paid attention. It didn't matter. So it's possible that it's legitimately possible votes were changed. Um, whether through again, malfeasance or through incompetence, it's impossible to say. It literally could be either one. And that's what's so frustrating is this environment where incompetence becomes accepted, leaves open the door for malfeasance that can be disguised as incompetence. And then you kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think people talk about that, unfortunately. Yeah. And then like allegations towards... <clears throat> Towards that are always considered extreme. Like if you're saying there's some kind of voting fraud or I don't know if you call it voting. Election fraud. Election. Yeah, sorry. Election fraud. Like Or vote tampering. That's, I mean, you are asking to be a public enemy. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah if you and even bring up that kind of subject. Well, it's because, you know, people have weaponized the term conspiracy theory. Yeah. So that you can't... To shut us down a little bit. Yeah. In my opinion. Even though every conspiracy begins with a conspiracy theory. By definition. And occasionally conspiracies do happen. There's nothing inherently derogatory, in my opinion, about theorizing about it. Like, like, no, there isn't. Like, like, by definition, there's nothing negative about y- conspiracy theory. Yeah, conspiracies. Like, you, when you just look at the words conspiracy yeah. and theory, put yes. them together yeah. and look up their dictionary so, definitions. Yes, conspiracy is not is not derogatory. Yeah, it's it's purely... Um, like, you and I are conspiring to get bigger, believe it or not. It's yeah, true. Like, like, yeah. And we're actually, believe it or not, working together on this. I know. <laughs> Crazy, right? So that's... D- technically... My friend Brandon and I are conspiring to make fun of the Democratic Party. <laughs> is, that, is that like the perfect cut <laughs> to a break? Oh my God, it would be, but we're going to do just one break. So we still have a few no, more no, minutes. But, but yeah, no, I, I mean. Yeah, no, it's really unfortunate. Um, and it's, <laughs> we can kind of transition to this a little bit and we'll, we'll take a break in a couple of minutes and come back to it. But it's funny that ironically, the biggest conspiracy theory, in my opinion, probably of the 21st century so far, is the whole Russiagate conspiracy theory. And ironically, that's a conspiracy theory peddled by the same people who weaponized the term conspiracy theory to shut down other debates. That's probably one of the largest or... Um most commonly discussed conspiracies within like public media or like mainstream, excuse me, mainstream media. Yeah. It's gotta be the biggest. Yeah. I said the biggest is probably like new world order and shit like that. Well, okay. If you're talking about just like in scale of impact, if it were true, we'll call like, we'll call them the, we'll call those things like indie conspiracy theories or something there. Let's yeah. let's say it's it's the biggest of the plausible conspiracy theories. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Actually, Pizzagate was pretty bad too. Yeah, but it was it this big? No, no. Like this is literally another country allying with a presidential candidate and then cheating in an election to help said presidential candidate. Yeah, I mean, aside from the from the um, like the obvious obstacles to doing that in the first place. It's, uh, and the fact that, like, what would they have to gain? I mean, the one I'm, thing you could argue is that Trump on the campaign trail said he was going to be friendlier to Russia. Oh, and particularly Clinton is very not a fan of Russia, even before this thing started. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she would have happily scapegoated them for something here and there or like inflamed the various oil proxy wars we have going on with them. Yeah. I was going to say like that stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Prior, but, but, uh, ironically yeah. Trump, Trump has been very tough on Russia. <laughs> probably, probably at least partially because of the conspiracy theory out there, but yeah. And like tough as in like publicly tough, I, we don't know what, well, I mean like his foreign policy actions in that realm have pretty much always been against Russia's interests. Like he backed out of a big nuclear arms treaty. He is inflaming the situation in Syria, which is a proxy war. Um, You know, claiming there's a gas attack when there 
really is not any evidence that there's a gas attack. Syria is a big is a big oil asset for Russia. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, there's a few other things, but also maybe even indirect too with how we're handling our relations with China, Russia, and China. Are, true, true. But but you know he shook hands with Putin, so so they're definitely friends, not just world leaders. <laughs> Um, anyways, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break for a minute here and uh, we'll finish this out. Sounds good. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Millen Singh, host of SpyFi After Dark. I'm here to just please ask you to rate and or subscribe on whatever platform you might be listening on. It really makes a really big difference to us and it makes us feel really good about ourselves. So you really should just do it for that reason alone, honestly. But seriously, it boosts our organic search rankings and makes it easier for people to find the podcast. And so it would really help us out a lot if you could shoot us a rating, subscription, whatever is applicable on whatever platform you might be listening on. Anyways, that's it for me. Let's get back to the episode. All right, and we're back. So... Uh, I wanted to transition the conversation a little bit, something I've been thinking about lately. Um, you know that this little company called Amazon, right? I think I've heard of it. Okay. I know it's like real indie, you know, no one's heard about it yet. Mm -hmm. We're pretty early on this one. Right. Um, so they have, uh, I, most people don't understand how Amazon's business works exactly. I'm sure you've heard the term that Amazon.com has never made money, right? You've heard that phrase somewhere? Yes. It's kind of like a semi-popular thing that people threw around for a while. Yes. The concept that it's never made money. But of course, it's an incredibly profitable corporation. Yes. It's really big. So those two things don't square with each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like those literally can't happen at the same time. Yes. Except they can. And it's because Amazon has a property that most people don't know about called Amazon Web Services, which is a technology company that's just a part of Amazon, but it's basically its own technology company. And it, um, it provides, I think, 90% of Amazon's profit, like operating profit. Not revenue, profit. Mm -hmm. Most revenue comes from Amazon.com. Yeah. But they don't make any money, so mm -hmm. there's no profit. Mm -hmm. So about 90, I think it's 90-some percent um, of Amazon's profit comes from Amazon Web Services. Are they also stationed in Seattle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd have, I think I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they work out of multiple offices, but the yes. main office is also in Seattle. Yes. Um, and it was built out of Amazon. Like it was an Amazon thing that they built. Mm -hmm. It's not like they acquired someone. I mean, they might've had some acquisitions along the way to speed it along. But I think originally it was an Amazon creation because they created a cloud platform for their business, their real yes. retail business. Yes. And then they productized it into a service that anyone could buy into. And now a stunning percentage of web traffic is served by AWS. I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but it is a stunning percentage. Huge. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Tasia's friend, just uh, Nick Hill actually just got a job there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I heard that they, like that department or whatever you want to call it, 
or that division of Amazon pays very well. It does. Yeah. It's because that's where all their profits go. It's a profit center, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Amazon is effectively able to compete in a market without having to compete in the market because they can rely on something completely unrelated to drive all their profit. Mm hmm. And their retail sector doesn't have to make a profit. Like a sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's only to look at it. But it's the reason why Amazon can destroy retail. Because if you think about it, by definition, having things personally shipped to you should be more expensive. Yes. Like mechanically speaking, it's no, more expensive to no, do you're that. Saying, you're, yeah, you're saying if Amazon was just Amazon as we know, as, like, as we see. Uh-huh. It would be very difficult for them to be competitive pricing wise. Yes. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because you can't, you can't, um, can't run negative as a company forever. They could do it for a while. Their early days, they were just running negative because yeah, they had VC money. Mm -hmm. But you can't do it forever. Yeah. Uh, eventually, they figured out they had this Amazon Web Services ticket, and that would get them enough profit to yeah. to go through size and scale. And then they had the sugar daddy. Yeah. To support that. No, I mean, there's obviously a future where Amazon is able to automate its processes in such a way that it actually makes it cheap enough to offer those prices and still be profitable. Maybe, but it's not that way today. Yeah. It's also like the diversification of, of order quantities and product types with no discrimination to location makes logistics extremely expensive. Meaning that like the fact that you could order like a cup versus someone could order like kilos of like Tarani syrup and we could be like neighbors. Like it is, it's, you know True. what I'm saying? It's very expensive True. for them to operate. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, yeah. And, um, and so this, this brings me to a concept that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that, uh, you definitely hear popular rhetoric from people like Bernie Sanders or even Elizabeth Warren talking about how they want to break up tech companies like Amazon. But oftentimes I find there's a lack of detail on what they mean. And I think, honestly, I don't think they understand how the businesses work. And um, Amazon is probably pretty large. I think we talked about this too. Sorry for cutting up, but like, we talked about this very briefly in a previous episode about like large businesses and their contribution to employment like amazon as people know it not aws i think that's what they're called but like that amazon provider amazon probably employs quite a bit of people yes it does like quite a bit you know oh. like the warehouse fronts and all that stuff um i don't know if that means anything but like when we talk about the whole going after like tech companies I always think like when we talk about tech companies, are we talking about tech companies who have like a disproportionate amount of like profit streams that are not tied to like human capital? Do you know what I'm kind of saying? Mm, okay. It's like AWS. Well, I bring it up because when you talk about breaking up Amazon, what you should specifically be saying is we should be breaking AWS off of Amazon. Oh. That's the only change you really have to make to Amazon. Yeah. 
because once because right now the monopoly side of Amazon, like the reason it should be broken up is because it can compete unfairly in the retail space and shut out all of its competitors. Mm -hmm. I mean, famously, it basically drove books, bookstores out of business completely. And now it's opening bookstores and they're going to be the only one. Right. That's a monopoly. So if we don't want that to happen to the rest of the retail space, something has to be done to change Amazon mm -hmm. or else that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And basically all you need to do is take AWS out of Amazon. That's the only thing you have to do. If you, you can basically structure it to where amazon.com gets to retain a version of AWS to use internally, right? They just can't sell it to anyone else, but they can still use the software for themselves. So they're not like a completely destroyed. And they don't have to license from, from AWS. But then AWS goes off and does its own thing. Now, I mean, AWS by itself is also kind of a monopoly in its space, but that's a whole other situation. And it doesn't it doesn't as readily affect the broader market and people's lives. Can you go into detail a little more for the general audience as to how AWS works and what their profit stream kind of looks like and how that benefits Amazon? So AWS is a platform as a service or infrastructure as a service um, company. So they sell basically web infrastructure mm -hmm. and cloud infrastructure from cloud storage to hosting to um, headless processing to uh, GPUs in the cloud. Like they have a bunch of different web cloud services basically. And these services are used by companies to deliver their applications, their websites, um, provide functionality for them. People use them to do computing remotely. They have all kinds of applications and they make money just by charging subscriptions for the service and charging by usage. So it's a, it's a wholly unrelated business to amazon.com. Like it has no retail application. Right at all. It was just built originally for amazon.com, but then abstracted out to work with anything. And so they basically make a lot of money because it's more of a capital based business and they have a lot of market share and they were the first to market with a uh, market facing cloud solution that was like relatively inexpensive. So they just, rapidly sucked up the market right so so ADS, so aws captured its market share independently from amazon's convenient need for it yes okay amazon had built it originally for themselves right. and then when they spun up the service it snapped up market share regardless of whatever amazon.com did got it and they weren't just building features for Amazon.com. They started building features for AWS specifically mm -hmm. and to capture that market. And they've done an excellent job. I mean, AWS serves so much. It's so much traffic. It's it's like a it's a very significant percentage, like a mid double digit percentage of all web traffic. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and there are a lot of other hosting providers or platform as a service providers that are based on Amazon, on AWS. Like um, Dropbox is all AWS. Um, Heroku is all AWS. Heroku being one of the big like 
hosted platform as a service companies. Uh, and so, so much of the world runs on AWS such that when AWS went down, uh, this was summer 2018, I believe. Um, they went down for like half a day and like literally half the internet was down. Like you literally couldn't visit most of the big websites you'd visit mm-hmm. because AWS was down. It's crazy. Yeah. The power. Yeah. It's nuts. So, I mean, that's a whole other it, issue. Do they just have like, like football fields of servers, like football field, like warehouses of like servers, probably like a city of just probably I mean, it's spread out all over the place. Yeah. I mean, but that's crazy. Tons of buildings, but I mean, I'm sure some of their biggest server farms are that size. They're on that scale. I wouldn't be surprised. That's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And I mean, there's definitely an issue with it being a monopoly in and of itself. Like it, I don't know how you address that necessarily because they're not really competing unfairly per se. The only thing that you could argue is that it's unfair because they have captured so much of the market in a market that's not going to move very easily Mm -hmm. because you're not going to change cloud providers overnight. Like for most of their big customers where they make most of their money, those customers take a long time to make changes. I mean, choice hotels, which is the company I work for, we are transitioning away from our own hosted infrastructure to AWS. And what, are, what are the foreseeable benefits? Faster, more flexible and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. Cause hosting your own infrastructure is not, not, um, not cheap. It's actually very expensive. Do you have like a reduced headcount in, like I like IT or whoever presumably okay or they'd be transitioned to something else yeah got it um but i mean that project alone i think they're already like 2 years into it and we're not even done yeah that's clunky yeah I mean, and you got, getting, and you and you're not the biggest company no we're not so yeah it's crazy we're we're big but i mean i don't think we're fortune 500 big so and i know there's a lot of fortune 500 companies built on aws mm or transitioning to AWS. And so, and that's just one, I think the .com, choicehotels.com is close to finishing its migration. But we have a bunch of other services too. And we're trying to convert all of them over. We have a bunch of backend services and stuff. And um, I, I don't know what the progress is, but I think there's still quite a ways to go. So it's this, it's this crazy thing. Um, and yeah, I just wish that I wish that people would realize that saying you want to break up Amazon, you're coming from a good place. Like I agree with you. Misguided. Just, but it's, it's not even just misguided. It's just, I don't even think they realize how easy it is. Like it's literally this one change to Amazon will force amazon.com to compete fairly. It's one, it's just one thing that's holding them back. That's it. Which is crazy. And um, I guarantee you, if we don't change this, if we don't um, split AWS off of Amazon, eventually Amazon will have such market share in the retail space and will have bankrupted most of its competitors. And then all of a sudden, you know, your prime membership will be $300 a year instead Mm -hmm. of $120 a year. And that free one day shipping will be $5. And 
the products that were always like five to ten percent off, like perpetually, will be retail price. Yeah, and that's where we're not even touching on like Amazon. Also, does this thing where someone will sell a, a product in Amazon, right? Because Amazon is an open marketplace mm-hmm. where people can put their products on there. Yep. So someone will sell a product. It'll be really popular. And Amazon's gathering data on this stuff. Like they know how popular every product is. They know all the growth trends. So they'll see, oh, this product has really got some traction. And they'll go to a manufacturer in China and say, hey, can you make this cheaper? And they'll say, sure. And then they'll make an Amazon Basics version or whatever. They'll use some brand and sell it for 50% less than this other small company that has this product that they put up on Amazon. They put it up on Amazon because they wanted to make more money because mm-hmm. it's a big marketplace for a lot of customers. Yeah. And now Amazon is directly competing within its own, with its own suppliers, yeah. which is another monopolistic behavior. So there's like probably some regulation that should deal with that. But that one's also a little trickier because um, most retail companies have their own brands and it's like a really thin line between where that ends Because a lot of retail companies at this point basically live on having their own brands because their brands provide them a lot more um, profit than other brands. Like grocery stores, um, Fry's, for instance, is the one that I go to. All the Kroger brand stuff is their brand. Their private selection is their brand. Simple Truth is their brand. Mm -hmm. And on those brands, they make a much higher margin. Mm-hmm. than on the competitors, even though their competitors are being sold for more money. So like Kroger brand yeah, barbecue sauce might be sold for $2 versus, you know, name brand is $3, but the profit for Kroger brand barbecue sauce for fries slash Kroger is like 50 cents versus it's like 20 cents for the other one. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't like, you can't end that entirely. I don't think that would be fair. Because um, it's kind of like blending, like when you have a product and that is what you sell is your product versus like being a retailer that sells other people's products. I don't know. I haven't like landed on a moral position on this one yet, but it's harder to say. I think what Amazon is doing is clearly morally wrong because they're doing it for all products. There's no discrimination. Mm -hmm. There's no pride in what they're doing. They're literally just undercutting people, right? Versus... Theoretically, a regular retail store, maybe like an electronics retail store, if they came up with a store brand for electronics, like they made their own headphones or something, theoretically, there'd be some like pride in that. No, I understand what you're saying. You know? I understand what you're saying. So I feel like there, there's that moral argument, which is probably why it feels so different. But again, I haven't like fully landed on a moral position for this one. It's just something to think about. And it certainly can be anti-competitive. Yeah, I'm sure there's some limitations, but it's product to pop product. Um, as to whether or not Amazon can come into a trending product of choice and undercut the, the seller. Mm-hmm. Certain things, I'm sure, 100%, but there may be certain products where quality won't be replicated. Well, but even if the quality isn't replicated, like it won't be obvious on the store page. I know. And you'll just buy the cheaper one because it's cheaper. 
Yes and no. A lot of people aren't that discerning. And even reviews are not necessarily reliable. Those can be easily manipulated. Yeah, I agree with you. I think discernment has gone up with... with I think discernment is up for our generation. For our generation. But we're not the biggest spenders. You know, middle-aged and older people are still bigger spenders than us for now. Not forever, but for now. No, I, I get what you're saying. And even still, there's a lot of people in our generation that are going to pick the cheaper option. And I mean, you got to recognize that the, your your people, your network is likely to be more discerning than average because of the people you hang out with. Yeah, I could have a bias maybe. Mm-hmm. Like we hang out in white collar circles, so we have more leeway to be discerning than a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of kind of thing we'll be exposed to more often. So, um, yeah, I mean, this stuff is it's tough tackling that concept, like monopolization of like web services and cloud and things yeah. like this, like like web infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That's more abstract it's tougher to like put to attach morals to yeah i think that that one in particular is very tough because again i don't think they're fundamentally competing unfairly yeah it's just that they have an outsized market share and it's a mix of right place right time and a quality product Mm -hmm. because i mean aws is a quality product to be clear. Yes. It's a good product. It would not have the adoption it has without that, but it also was the right place, right time. And it would not be successful if it wasn't. Have there been any notorious competitors to AWS? Google has a cloud platform and Microsoft has Azure. Microsoft Azure is probably the second biggest, but they both are dwarfed by AWS. Maybe they should combine. No, that wouldn't help. <laughs> Microsoft, Google combining, Jesus, that would be bad. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I mean, this stuff is, um, I, don't, I like this stuff. I don't know, I'm thinking about ways I can do more, more content on this kind of stuff. You always can. Yeah, it's a matter of time. I just, I feel like a lot of people are not. It's interesting and very relevant. Yeah. And I just feel like a lot of people don't have the tools to understand how a lot of this stuff works. Unfortunately. Just lack of exposure. Yeah. And it's, it's not readily available knowledge and it's not even like readily applicable knowledge necessarily. Like it's only the base knowledge is only useful for some people. Now it's the end result of them. Like when you combine the two knowledges together, that's useful for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but the individual parts that go into it are more esoteric. Yes. And will probably always be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're at like 50, almost 50 minutes or 50, 50 minutes or so. This is a pretty good place to stop. I mm-hmm. think, I think we've reached the logical conclusion. Yeah pretty good conversation i agree about aws i actually myself was not too familiar with how it worked yeah so yeah i mean and you're more likely to be familiar than most 
Yeah, exactly. So. But even still, yeah, hundred percent. So, um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it here again. Uh, iowamarcus.com. Check it out at Millen tweets at Millen grams. We need volunteers. Yes, we do subscribe to the podcast. We'll keep them coming on iTunes. Please do all the support we can get. Appreciate subscribe you guys on YouTube. Actually, that's more important because I need a hundred subscribers to get youtube.com yeah. slash bi fi. Yes. So that's the most important. Where, uh, where are we at? I don't know, like 15. Okay. Um, and yeah, we have video now. So if you're listening to this, you can also watch it on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, I guess we'll see you next time. Take care.